my book's tagline is the do better manual because one, I'm judging myself and I think we're, I constantly need to do better, but I'm judging us as a society and saying that we all have to do better. We have not done better because we now live in a world in a country that is run by, I call him a walk-in Cheeto, a man whose platform is really to demean anybody who's not white, male, and straight. We have not done better. Welcome back. Welcome back to the podcast. I was I was just at a red light and I have like tweezers in my little console thingy. Yeah. I just have to share this because I That's don't ever want to Tweezers in the console is a boss move. Yeah. I want to be I want to be held accountable that this will never happen again. Cuz oh, I just this is my life. <laughs> so like when I'm in my car, I'm like in my own little world. I don't really have a lot of awareness, which is not good cuz when like you're in, a, in when you're in a car, you should be paying attention. But I'm just kind of whatever. And I'm at a red light and um, I take out my tweezers because I just feel like my prickly chin hairs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just like, I'm in like the zone, just like getting, getting deep ones like every other I'm moment. Scared. And so I'm just like, eh, whatever. I'm like listening to Slow Burn, which I want to talk about at some point. The Monica Lewinsky scandal. They like break it down. Really? Crazy. Wow. I can't take any more. It's, it's a lot. Well, it's a lot because it happened when I was 10 and I was like thinking about, did I become super easy and sleazy because of Monica? it was, no, not because of Monica. You're because, like, oh, no, she's no. The top. you're like, what a great idea, girl. <laughs> but was I really in, t- <laughs> I'm going to revisit that. Anyway, look over to my right <laughs> and probably the hottest guy I've seen in like, I don't know, three months. Like one of those little unicorns where you're like, I wish that this light would stay red forever. And I could just like open my, like roll down my window and just be like, Hey, what's up? Like, yeah. And you were like, like looking fresh. Do you want to go surfing sometime? <laughs> and I was plucking my black chin hairs. Did he look over at you? Of course. He was like watching me. He was watching me do it for a, a minute before I noticed he was watching it, me. And, and then I was just like, can he see the tweezer? Cause my hand was kind of covering it. Maybe it just looked like, like, like I, was I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, I, I, I didn't know what to do. I think I you, you taught him a, something in life. He really needs to learn that women, all women, no matter how beautiful they are. have yes. I think you taught him, you gave him more than he could have ever given you. You taught him a lot about women and the next woman <laughs> that's with him is very lucky. He's like, it's okay, girl. Like she'll be in the bathroom and be like, you plucking your chin hairs? She's like, ah, what? And he's like, it's okay, girl. I know, okay, I know you guys do. Damn, I know. So anyway, whatever. Never see him again. Hey, seeing and that fine get, fine guy gives you hope. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. You need a little finey every once in a while. Yeah. You're telling me. I know. 
Anyway, yeah, the Monica Lewinsky thing, I mean, we don't have to get into it, but just thinking like about that time and we were 10 years old and... Well, I didn't know we were 10. We were about 10. Yeah. And like, just how like one, the feminist movement reacted to it. So kind of like shaming Monica, Mm -hmm. but like we seem to forget that Monica was fresh out of college. Yeah. I don't know if that was feminist that shamed her or did they say that? Cause I'm not sure. Like I yeah, guess my were, idea of like what were, a feminist would, would be not to shame. Exactly. That's yeah. kind of the point that it was fucked up. So wow. like there are, there are people in the feminist movement yeah. that kind of shamed her for, doing for putting women in a bad light, like women yeah. in working in government, whatever. Yeah. Um, because everyone was in love with Bill Clinton. Everyone loved him. Yeah. I heard he's the shit. They wanted, they wanted to like, I wonder how she got caught. Okay. So Linda Tripp, was her kind of confidant uh-huh. in the White House, like kind of like a mother figure. Literally, wow. Monica Lewinsky was like 24, 23. Wow. Obsessed, in love with Bill Clinton, in love, just like enamored by him. Mm. And a person of power, the most powerful man in the free world, is giving her attention, is asking her to blow him on a regular basis. And as a 24-year-old, you're like, this is insane. This is so cool. Totally. This is amazing. This is I what feel love seen. Is like literally. That was me totally at some point 100%. in my life. 100%. Or like, yeah. Where that was kind of the currency. I was, yeah. You're like, "Oh, okay. I love the construction going on outside. I hopefully no one can hear that." Um, but man, she so Linda Tripp was her confidant and Linda Tripp started recording the conversations. Oh. So she, and she, no, but she has a lot of guilt about it now. Aww. She, she talked on this series cause she's like, it, I didn't want to be doing this. Like yeah. I wasn't like here to, but she's like, it's like Monica was my daughter. Like yeah. what would I have done if this was my daughter? I mean, you fucking talk to your daughter. Well, she was talking to her and she wasn't like, Ooh, tell me more about his dick. She was just like, Monica, you have to be careful. Like yeah. save that dress. Like save that dress so that the blue dress, that's like basically the uh, biggest piece yeah, of evidence because yeah. it has its jizz on it yeah. or whatever. And she's like, you don't, you have a full life ahead of you. Yeah. Like you don't know what's going to happen. Like you can't, you're not safe. Yeah. And so like, anyway, she uh, brought so these she recordings. Her. Yeah, she did. But I mean, Monica hates her. Yeah. You oh, know, yeah. they don't yeah. talk now, obviously. Yeah. Um, I just, yeah, I just would never snitch. Like who'd she tell? The press? That's the thing. Who'd um, Linda tell? Yeah, she. I think she told Ken Starr's team, and then Ken. They like you know had yeah. this whole meeting and kind of like ganged up on Monica. Not ganged up, but kind of. And and you know she. It was like a tell-all, and like that mm-hmm. whole um, report came out. You know, like where they basically detailed the entire relationship where she detailed the entire relationship. So it's just hard. Cause then like, you know, he's still in the public eye and like everyone still kind of loves him. And like, there's Monica. And I think people are starting to love her more. I hope so. I think people are really turning a corner for her, yeah. but that's dude. Tale as old as time. Mm-hmm. Female wears the scarlet letter. The dude's so the true. man. That's just tale as old as time. And it's bullshit. I know. Yo, if you think I wasn't going to be sucking that dick, if I was in her position. If, literally, I was talking to Rue about that. I was like, yeah, I was like, what would we have done? 
obviously would have sucked the president's dick. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Be like, this is my chance <laughs> to show him what I'm made of. <laughs> but at that age, you give me the opportunity and I'm probably going to take it because... It's just like, you don't even know it's an opportunity. You think it probably is just like, you have to. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like... I know. And like my male relationships. It's like, I didn't understand really how things worked nope. at that age. So it's like, you know, I mean, you're still done. God bless her. I think she's done a great job with her career though. I, think so too. I yeah. mean, it'd be cool to have her on. Literally. We just batted our eyelashes and raised our eyebrows. Yeah. Yeah. That would be fucking amazing. Actually. I'd love to have her on. I wonder on. what she's, yeah. I mean, she, she wrote like another book. Mm -hmm. Like, I just think it's, I always just think about that time, how we were going to, did he step down, right? No. I think he stepped down out of mm, office. No. Um, did he? I don't think he was impeached. That was the point that was so fucked up. So apparently they tried to impeach him, but it failed in the house. So he never actually ended up being Correct. impeached. But like, dude, think about what's going on today. Well, that's what's the craziest thing. The craziest thing. Well, yeah. I mean, nowadays, well, I was talking to someone and just thinking about with uh, fake news and how much, what's going on in our media today is like when all of this crazy stuff happens, like, and they want us to look there. So say for an example, you know what I mean? They want us to look here. What is happening that they that's going on that they don't want us to see. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times with the Trump administration, they'll do something like when Melania, Milana, whatever the fuck her name is, wore that jacket that mm -hmm. said, I don't care. There's like, he was passing a bill in the house to like remove us from like the Paris Treaty or something like that. There's, so there's something that's going on that they're trying to keep us from looking at. And I don't know if that was going on with Bill, but I just think about how like we were so hard, not hard on him, but like, it's just such a different time. Completely. Well, that's also too, like, I don't know, like in the documentary, Jesus Camp talks a lot about the evangelicals mm. and how they really, really go out to vote. And it's like the people that are, you know, obviously very much against something like that happening always tend to kind of have their say in our government and what's going on. So- well, it was interesting because like there's a separation between church and state. So a lot of the people mm. who are in government and a, and kind of out, like it was like a witch hunt for him mm -hmm. were kind of very religious people. And they're like, no, no, no. Oh, like yeah. I'm coming from a place of this, you know, against yeah. the law and blah, blah, blah. But meanwhile, like, I mean, they are like staunch Christians and like out for him. Mm-hmm. So it's just really interesting. And then this, but the, the, the one thing that like stood out to me, he, the ego on that Bill Clinton has kind of throughout this whole thing is so interesting to track and how certain people are attracted to it. Mm -hmm. They were at like a press conference about education. Hillary was speaking. He was speaking. Some other guy was speaking. It was all about education, kind of boring, run of the mill, whatever. And it was at the time that this whole thing was going on. And at the end of it was when he said, now I just want to say to the American people, I did not have sexual relations. Like he did yeah, that whole yeah. thing, but that was the famous thing at the end of, at the end of this education press conference. So like it had, he didn't need to say any of that. They weren't, of course, like it was on people's minds, but like for his ego to go so far and so bold as to lie again, yeah, to kind of like put 
Monica Lewinsky in the position again of just being, you know, the little hoe who cried wolf, Mm -hmm. you know? You should make a shirt that says that. Man. (laughs) Or our first book should be called that. The hoe who cried wolf. Yeah. Wow. Sounds about right. <laughs> kind of my life. <laughs> anyway. Wow. But it's it's fun, these kind of series that go back and Love. deconstruct um, recent history where like I'm, you know, like the O.J. Mm-hmm. Simpson case, like the, the Monica Lindsay sc- mm-hmm. stuff when I was like aware that it was happening, but I actually didn't know the specific details and like the implications mm-hmm. moving forward. And just my perspective and my... I wonder what like my parents thought. Parents, that's a huge thing. Where, I would like, love to like, at, maybe I can ask them. It's mm-hmm. like, what did you think about this? Like, did you think that she was, you know, like, did you have that same perception, I guess, that the media portrayed Monica to be the homewrecker. She right. portrayed to be the problem. You know, the woman like Mary Magdalene is always kind of the problem. So I just wonder if they had that same perspective or they just were like, mm. And meanwhile, sorry, this is the last piece, but in the, it, this was also very soon following one of the members of the Clinton administration had committed suicide. There's this whole conspiracy theory that like the Clintons are actually like kind of fucked up and behind this. Like there was this whole thing. So it's funny that you said the distraction thing. So it's like, oh, let's just throw a sex scandal in there so that they kind of focus. And like Bill's charismatic enough. He'll get through it. Don't worry about it. Let's like take the attention away from the fact that. That's what they say. So they are talking about, um, or I've been, Yo, I've been in deep and I actually need help. Oh, yeah. I've been in too deep. I know. Justice came home. <laughs> Dude, I'm. you know you're in deep with shit when you're watching YouTube videos that aren't videos. It's just <laughs> audio. And I'm literally so fucking blown away that I'm watching a picture on the screen because I'm just like... It's like an atom and you're like, what? <laughs> it literally is. It's like a picture of the surface of the moon and like a crater. I'm like just sitting in my room. Justin came home. He's like, P, you got to, you got to chill. <laughs> it is like too far. So you guys, I've been heavy in aliens, conspiracy shit. Mm-hmm. It's just getting a little out of hand. I'm unable to live normally. I don't even know where to start. To be honest, if I said w- one thing that I've learned in the past weekend, I was sick this weekend, mm. you guys would be if, if one little thing that I've learned this weekend is true, then everything's fucking crazy. But a lot of it was talking about how the distractions and one of the predictions was that there's going to be a lot of cases around pedophilia coming out. So that's going to be, so there's going to be things that are happening in our world that we need to be paying attention to, but to distract mm. or to provide a distraction, obviously it's a good distraction if people are getting caught, is going to be around pedophilia rings, especially with like the dark web. So like with the dark web, there's a lot of like human trafficking and things mm. like that. So that stuff, I guess, is going to start to surface, which is Yeah, that whole like idea of just things starting to kind of come yes. to the surface is really interesting and how it's like kind of happening in waves, whether it's like the environment reacting mm. and just kind of getting angry or it's like, men, you yep. know, there was uh, this one guy that just came out and I'm not even going to say his mm, name because I'm like scared. They're tapping us. <laughs> They're t- <laughs> okay. So he, he was, Hey guys, we can no longer do the podcast. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Chris so is freaking out. He, when he was six years old, he was taken by the government, not taken. They didn't like take him in on the night, but he was like be he, he was, uh, he's an intuitive and he can speak tell 
Telepathically? Telepathically to people. And he's always been like highly sensitive. So he was taken in by the government to be a person that works for the government under this like very secretive organization that communicates with other life forms and extraterrestrials because extraterrestrials usually talk through telepathy. Right. So he was used to like talk to them. So he recently left and now is coming out with all this shit. What's his name? Can we get him on the pod? Um, I don't (laughs) know. Oh, you can't say his name. Oh, right. I I can't. I don't want to say his name. I, I just I almost swear thirty to God. mysteriously disappears from iTunes again, literally again. again, again. To be continued. We just lost a hundred thousand listeners. <laughs> hey guys, the world is amazing and exciting, <laughs> and it's fun and, to learn. Yeah, <laughs> and grow. <laughs> That's why we're here. Welcome to our school. Yeah, <laughs> literally. <laughs> Um, S- sitting here, sipping a spindrift, sitting a, sipping a water with Moellan CBD and a little Saqqara minerals. Oh never yeah. Never too much. Never too much. Never too many bevs. Never too many bevs. Lindsay's oh, on her phone. What no, I'm, 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 I'm looking at our uh, <laughs> guest today. Isn't she beautiful? Dude. Lovey. Dude. <laughs> Lovey a Jay. She's incredible. She was such a blast and such an inspiration. I love her Instagram. It's the shit. It's the best. She's on it. Award-winning author, speaker, and digital strategist. She's funny. Mm-hmm. You know, she kind of lives at that yes. intersection. She's like funny. She's smart. She's an activist, which I think is just such a sweet spot for people because I think it's easy because like a lot of these issues are so emotional that you can kind of like be too far to the right, too far to the left, whatever. So she really finds that middle ground so that she can reach as many people um, as possible. And her book, I'm Judging You, the day, the Do Better Manual, is it was an instant New York Times bestseller for a really good reason. It's honest. It's like just kind of in your face in a way that you're like, I needed to hear that. Yeah. Thank it's just you. all about like pop culture, mm-hmm. how we're so focused on social media. And it really is like, a breakdown that makes you think critically about your life, makes you think critically about the world today and like a really fun, light, easy to digest um, way. And I just, I love her. I think she is such an inspiration. Whenever I find people like that, that just are unafraid to be themselves and to speak their truth, but can do it in a way that is light and doesn't feel negative or condescending is just like such a beautiful thing. So we are so excited to have her on the podcast. And she also has her own podcast rants and randomness. Um, So she's like ranting and raving about just anything in this crazy life. And it's a really interesting perspective. So check that out. Let the plane fly by. It's a government. Yeah, literally. (laughs) Um, She was also Oprah Winfrey's inaugural Super Mm. Soul 100 list. So, you know, casual. Casual. Same, same. Um, Okay. Enjoy this conversation with Lovey. She's amazing. Check her out at lovey.org, L-U-V-V-I-E.org. We love her. And thanks so much for rating and reviewing on iTunes. It's never too much. We are mm-hmm. so grateful. I'll read them every day. Um, thank you for joining our secret Facebook group. Hop on in there. Tell your friends. It's just a really supportive, funny, enlightening community. And, this, and the subgroups are awesome. Dude. They've been meeting up. The Portland group that met up the other day and took a selfie and sent it to us. Did you see the girls from Bali? Yes. Two girls met in our group and went on a trip to Bali together and are now best friends. Fuck. Literally, Fuck. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> Love y'all. All right. We'll see you on the other side. See you on the other side. Bye-bye. 
We are so happy to have you on. Um, you are such an inspiration. You are so educated. Um, you are so positive, but woke at the same time. So um, we are so happy to have you on the podcast today. It is my honor to join you. Thanks, honey. <laughs> um, so we just jump right in. Um, we've done a formal intro before this, but I would love for you to introduce yourself to our audience. I know a lot of them know who you are because um, not only did we know about your work and your presence on this earth, but they were talking about you as well mm -hmm. and, and asked us to connect with you and bring you on the podcast. So we were so happy to do so. Um, but if you could introduce yourself, that would be amazing. That's awesome. So my name is Lavia Jai, and uh, I'm a writer, I'm a speaker, I'm a digital strategist, and um, I'm a truth teller. And I host podcasts too. So my, I've mm -hmm. been writing online for 15 years. I started my blog um, in 2003, back when it was still considered plain on the internet. It basically took on a life of its own. I didn't have any expectations. Um, I had a full-time job up until 2010, where I was still blogging at nighttime. Mm -hmm. um, but I had something that was actually paying me. And then I got laid off my job and blogging basically kind of took over. And the strategy that I was doing, which professional um, background, I was in marketing communications for nonprofits. So I started doing that for small businesses and bloggers and entrepreneurs. And all of that kind of allowed me to never have to work for anybody again. So here I am eight years after the last time I had a real boss. And now I do speaking about my life, my journey, about branding, about marketing, I wrote my first book actually two years ago, exactly two years ago today. Wow. I'm judging, yeah, I'm judging the Do Better Manual came out and mm -hmm. instantly hit the times list. So that also kind of changed my Casual. trajectory. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Writes book, instant hit. <laughs> Look, I, I was like, holy smokes. Um, Dude, so that's yeah, crazy. that's who I am. I'm essentially somebody who um, is committed to leaving the world better than I found it very through various mediums. Mm. I'm curious as to like, were you confident from the get-go yeah. when you started this path or was there a gap between, you know, you becoming a writer to actually considering, considering yourself a writer, activist, culture critic? Like, what did that feel like for you? Mm -hmm. Oh, there's absolutely a gap because, you know, none of this was the plan. There was no strategy in my head that was like, okay, I'm going to do this and then this will happen. And then I'm going to do this and this will happen. My original plan when I started college was to become a doctor. And As then I got a D in chemistry and realized I don't even like <laughs> hospitals. And I was like, Same. yeah, <laughs> let's, let's go ahead and kill that doctor dream. <laughs> um, for me, writing was never a career option because I just didn't see how I could make money doing yeah. the type of writing that I did. You know, I know the Toni Morrisons and the J.K. Rowlands, but who was making money just writing about the world and life in general? Um, so it didn't feel real. I still thought, okay, well, no more doctor, then let's switch to marketing or psychology because my degree is actually in psych. So there was absolutely a gap in a time there where I didn't own the fact that I had a gift at writing or that I owned the fact that I had a gift of communication. Yeah, I, I was confident about my ability to do what I thought I was good at, which was marketing. Writing for me just felt like a... Yeah. I think for people like you and... um not I'm in a different category because you're way above, but sometimes I think about like 
it's hard to see your future when you're the first. So for someone like you, the time that you came into this, the time that you came into writing and the time um, where we are kind of creating this cultural commentary, this political commentary online, being a digital strategist, no one was really doing that. So it's really hard to like look at your future and say, I want to be X, Y, and Z when you're the first. So I can imagine, you know, as you're creating your path along the way that it's like not super clear cut. And I would be personally, you know, a little scared. Like when you first got laid off, were you scared? Were you like, what did you feel like? Oh my God, I absolutely was. Cause I was like, ah, uh, I wasn't ready for that. But, totally. And I kept on looking for other jobs. Like I would go on LinkedIn mm, and post my resume. I even think, I think recently I saw the, I saw an application that I was sending up until 2012 that I was still mm. looking for a full-time job. I wasn't the first blogger or writer, but I was I didn't see too many versions of what I was doing, right? You know, there was like the um, the deuces, Heather Armstrong, who was mm-hmm. writing then. There was like Jennifer Lawson as a culture critic and just somebody who's writing on the internet. There was no path. There was no blueprint for like, how do you take this writing words on your own website behind a computer to actually making money that can sustain you? So it was absolutely frightening because I was like, oh, snap, I have a shoe habit. I have to keep up. Like, (laughs) how is that going to work now that I don't know how I'm going to get money? Um, It's a constant struggle, but I think it's really important. And I said this on my podcast, Rant and Randomness, that it's like the times when we don't see an example of what we want to do and who we want to become, sometimes we have to be that example for other people. Mm-hmm. And the work that I've been able to do, I've gotten that feedback of people being like, I can actually tell my mom that this is what I want to do and show her the, the example. So that, that has been, it's taken a journey to get there. Yeah. And you're, so growing up, so I know you went to school in Chicago. Did you grow up in Chicago? Yeah. So I was born in Nigeria and then okay. um, we moved to Chicago when I was nine. Chicago has been home since went to went to um elementary high school and then I went to college at the University of Illinois. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I grew I went lived in Chicago for a long time, so I have like a very special place in my heart for Chicago. Um so growing up in Nigeria and then moving to Chicago, what was that transition like for you and your family and how do you think that has like shaped your experiences and like your ability to um be your complete self online and in person? Uh, the transition was huge because it's like a major culture shock yeah. to go from a place mm. where everybody looks like you to to a place where I felt like I was a new girl for the first time ever in life. So, yeah. you know, at first, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really want to be different from anybody. You want mm-hmm. to fit in. So I did my best to assimilate. I lost most of my accent by uh, freshman year of high school. Mm. I wasn't going by my Nigerian name, which is Ifeolua. Because I was like, the kids are not going to pronounce it well. But college allowed me to kind of own who I was because I realized like, yo, that thing that makes you different is actually it's pretty cool. awesome. Yeah. It's actually pretty awesome. So, you know, own it. And I realized also just the importance of being exactly who you are in whatever rooms you're in because you don't have to put on a mask. And when, when you don't, when you're not wearing a mask, you have more clarity. It's one less thing to have to worry about try, constantly navigating um, who you are and how you show up. So I definitely made it a point to be like, you know what? Okay. Once I understand really the value of me being uniquely myself, it's one less thing for me to worry about. Mm. In your writing, 
like at the beginning of it, did you have any kind of filters on? Were mm-hmm. you curious as to whether like your opinions or words would resonate or stir things up? Did you want to stir things up? Like kind of what was your approach and did you have any fears as you started to write and put your work out there? When I started blogging, blogging wasn't what it was today um, in that we use blogging more like our unfiltered thoughts and diaries. And a lot of it was probably more thoughtless than, than we would really want to admit. And also when you you know, for me, when I started blogging, it was just this platform. It wasn't anything that had expectations or anything that felt like, I didn't really feel like I even had an audience. I was just like, oh, it's me making my friends laugh behind the screen. So we didn't have the thoughtfulness that we have now. We, blogging actually charts a lot of our growth as humans, as people, as, as thoughtful people. And so back then, yeah, my blog was completely different from what it is now, just because you know, in your 20s, you're probably stupid. (laughs) And you're probably way more carefree than you are when you're in your 30s, when you're like, wow, I'm a completely different person. So yeah, blogging has changed tremendously just because we're in a new world and we're in a new, we're in a new consciousness. And I think it reflects it. And those of us who started blogging 15 years ago, will read some of our old posts and be like, oh God, (laughs) this is terrible. But seeing that kind of lets you like, oh, wow. Okay. So I have actually grown. Right. Yeah. I, I've had, I have a blog too, not as long as yours, probably like four years. And my first posts were like haikus. It was like, (laughs) fucking. (laughs) it was like fucking bizarre. Like I'd be like, I just, they were so deep and they were so like, I, I guess it was just, I didn't think anyone, same with you. I'm like, these are only for a few people. Not a lot of people are reading it. And now like, and this is with your platform and I feel it's a little with mine. Like now that I have more people reading it, it's almost a little harder because for me, online words feel so permanent mm-hmm. um, that it's easier for me to communicate on a podcast because you can kind of get the full intention of what I'm saying by my mm-hmm. voice and by the full conversation. So sometimes just speaking out via blog seems like challenging now. Mm. I can get that. I can understand that. The thing is also like with more people listening to your work and with a bigger platform, I think our responsibility is to be just make sure that we are better people because being able to access more people means we have more responsibility for our words. And somebody actually recently emailed me and was like, hey, you know, I'm worried that like as my blog grows, that my voice changes. I'm mm-hmm. like, no, your voice doesn't change with the amount of people listening to you. I think you just have to make sure that you are a, that you're, that you're basically double checking with yourself that you mean what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And also that, you don't allow your writing to necessarily change just because more people are watching, but you as a person, you just know that you're more responsible for people and for things. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you do about that pressure? Cause now you do have so many eyes on you and you are talking about things that make people feel that make them change, um, that make them, um, you know, that I can understand, get it both positive And then for some that, aren't aligned, you know, a negative response. So what do you do about that to make sure that you're staying aligned and that you're staying in check, knowing that what you're writing is like truly you? 
Um, I, I do a checkpoint, a check-in with myself where whenever I'm going to say something, I'm like, do I mean it? Can I defend it? Do I say it with love? Mm. Um, it's my checkpoint with myself that I just started doing about three years ago, three, four years ago. Because here's the thing is, if you're in, if you're anybody who's saying anything of no, people will disagree with you. Mm. Just because mm-hmm. that's, that's how human nature is. But it allows you to actually, you know, check in with yourself because that's what matters the most, right? We won't, we're not writing to solely because we want people to agree with us. We're mm-hmm. writing to speak our truths. So in those times, the people who we need to check in with is us first. Did you always have a voice? Mm-hmm. Um, like from a young age yeah. or what was that evolution? Um, I think I've always had a voice. I've never really been one who stifled myself. Been Ever since I was little, I've been one who was like, like if I feel cheated, I will say something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just couldn't help it. You know, if I felt hurt, I would say something just because I couldn't help it. Because my whole thing was, if I'm not telling people how I'm feeling, how will they know? Mm. So, of course, it's harder sometimes based on who you're talking to. But, yeah, it's a practice. It's a practice of understanding that all of our voices matter, starting with mine. Like, to me, my voice has to matter the most. Mm. To you, your, your voice should matter the most, too. But it should also come with um, empathy and hopefully some, some thought. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like what I love about your work is that you use humor so well. And do you find like I find sometimes when I am so in it and kind of reading all the political stuff that's going on and in the conversation and I've educated myself that sometimes it's hard for me to stay positive and keep a sense of humor about things. And I love that you have an ability to do that and kind of communicate these messages in a way that is, you know, people can really understand and and learn from because it's not attacking or um, whatever. So can you talk about, you know, your use of humor in um, communicating? Humor is important to use because it, it, it pulls people's defenses down. Mm-hmm. When you make people laugh, you create common ground and they're more willing to kind of take in whatever it is you're saying. And I didn't necessarily start using humor as a as a, um, as a tool in my writing and strategy, it will really just happen like that because that's how I speak. I write basically like I talk in real life. Mm. So my writing reflects my personality. Mm-hmm. So people, I remember when I started blogging and was blogging regularly, people would be like, what type of blog do you have? And I'd be like, uh, one where I talk about all the things I feel like talking about. Mm-hmm. I didn't really have a niche because, you know, one day I might be talking about TV. The next day I might be talking about fashion. Next day after that, I might be talking about police brutality. So, but what people realized was my blog was funny. So no matter what I was tackling, it usually had something in there that made you laugh. So I was like, oh, so my blog is a humor blog. That's when I realized, okay, cool, cool, cool. That's why it resonates with people is because it's making them laugh. And the things that I do, like my book, my book, even though when I tackle important subjects, you'll still find something in there that's going to make you smile. Um, my podcast, Rants and Randomness, like my, my, um, my Twitter account, all of it across all my platforms, you will laugh at something. Um, and it was not 
strategic in the beginning. It ended up like that, though. So I say that um, the best compliment is when people tell me, you know, when I'm reading your words, I hear your voice. Mm. And that's because truly how I think is how I write. So it comes out in my work. And being able to make people laugh in the times when they need it the most is something I'm really proud of. I think about the times when back in the day, like 20, 2009, 2010, whenever I'd want to quit blogging, I'd get an email from somebody who reads my blog who says something like, you know, the reason why I wasn't crying is my mom was getting chemotherapy was that I was reading your blog and laughing. Mm. So those are the times when I realized the power of humor mm. and really giving people a place to escape to, especially in low moments. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned your book, I'm Judging You, The Do Better Manual. I'd love to talk about how that the idea for the book came about. And it's like a pretty powerful title. So I kind of want to dig into like what it means. Um, and I love the idea of kind of lifting the weight off of like the word judge too, because mm. that's kind of what the title gives me. It's like, you know, I don't think, I think judging can be like a call to action too, you know? Mm-hmm. So and that's what it sounds like, but I'd love to kind of dig into the idea behind the book. Your bestseller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the book, um, I got the idea for my book and I know exactly the moment when it was August 4th, 2014 at like 6.36 p.m. Whoa. <laughs> okay. This is, this this is super specific angel. because so that <laughs> my, my audience who's been reading my work for a long time is um, they really know my voice and they really understand what I do. So they say my voice is singular. So they can tell when I wrote something, even if they didn't see my byline on it. So one that day I wake up and I have like three to four messages in my inbox of people being like, hey, we read this thing and it sounds like you wrote it, but your name is not on it. So I click the link and sure enough, somebody had taken three paragraphs of my work and dropped it in theirs without giving me any credit. Ooh, Like plagiarized. So Damn. I ended up like going hard about this thing Twitter, on Facebook, on, I basically took a, that day, whatever deadlines I had, I did not make them because I was too busy dragging this guy. Um, <laughs> I like went and took a nap because I was so tired from all the, dude, <laughs> that emotion. You're like, I gotta take a nap and recharge. Yeah, I gotta take a nap, right? <laughs> dude, I feel so, that. When I woke up from the nap, there was an email from the guy who was like, oh my God, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. I was like, <gasps> Honey, what? How old are you? Dude, come on. That's like, fourth grade legit do better do better correct do better (laughs) and i literally tweeted is there not a limited edition handbook on how not to be terrible at human being Mm. and i was like and i was like oh snap that's the book i need to write that is literally how i got my book idea i was like the moment i tweeted it i'm like yo that's the book i need to write like a manual for people on how not to suck at human at being humans did you delete the tweet? And you're like, shit, that's a good idea. <laughs> no, but you know what's funny? I, no, I kept the tweet up, but I didn't say, I to myself was like, yo, that's the book I'm writing. 100%. I didn't tell anybody that was the book I'm writing. Yeah. Um, wow. And then a couple of months later, a book agent randomly emails me and is like, hey, I read your blog and I think you should write a book. And I was like, yo, I already have my idea. I wow. signed with him. Uh, this was October 2014 that I signed with my book agent. Um, I wrote my proposal uh, in two weeks of 
February 2015, my 50-page proposal. Like, I went from having Jesus. no proposals to having 50 pages. And my agent was like, wait, what? You just told me you didn't have one. I was like, I finished it in these two weeks. Damn. Um, he started shipping it out in February 2015, and I had my book deal in March. Damn. That is quick as hell. But, like, when it's right, mm-hmm. it just fucking yeah. goes. Yeah, it went, yo. I was like, wow. wow, that's crazy. Damn, did you just have, like, all this built up? You were, like, of your entire life. You're like, I know what people need to do to do better. And it did it just flow? Or did you, like, need to get inspiration from, like, looking at Twitter trolls? Like, how the <laughs> fuck did you get all the insight to, like, what exactly the topics you were that you wanted to hit on? You know, as a side-eye sorceress, Mm. I basically had a list of things that I was just like, what gets on my nerves? Ooh, Mm. racism. Ooh, what gets on my nerves? People who don't do dinner well. Like when you go to group dinners and somehow you're always $500 short of the bill because everybody insists. Honey. So I literally had a brainstorm session with myself where I was like, okay, it was just a bullet. I started with a bullet point list of things that get on my nerves. (laughs) And that was my jump off point. I was like, okay. And then I started realizing, okay, I was like, oh, this sounds like, that is like life. And then there's culture and then there's social media. Huh. Okay. And books started taking form. I, this book was clearly in me because I wrote the book in five months, 80,000 words in five months. Um, yeah. May, 2015 to October of 2015. I basically was just getting the words out and it was there. Mm. What was the process like? Were you, I mean, you're a writer by nature. So yeah. yeah, I always wonder about the pressure of, you know, deadlines in a book and mm-hmm. having an agent and all of that. So you said you were just getting it out. So was it that it was like just kind of purging and then you go back and you kind of take a fine tooth comb and figure it out? And what was the process like for you? Yeah. So my proposal was actually really instrumental in helping me write the book because the proposal already had my chapter summary. Mm. My proposal had like each each chapter I already knew. I had two to three paragraphs of that summarized what I would be talking about. So when it was time to sit down to write the book, I really used my proposal as like my guide. Mm-hmm. And how I was able to write the book was I used an app called Self Control. Because, you know, oh. we all will... Like, I have a deadline today, but we won't do it because we end up being distracted by the internet. YouTube, BuzzFeed, mm-hmm. Facebook, Twitter. Before you know it, you've done nothing for three hours, but just like peruse social media. So it's this app that lets you, it shuts you down, essentially. It shuts you down for how, how many hours you say you need to shut it down for. And even if you click on Facebook.com, it'll be a gray screen that said not available. So... Yeah. I gave myself two hours every day to be on self-control app where I couldn't do anything but stare at my computer because I can't lollygag online because none of these websites are available to me. And for those two hours, I would just do as much writing as I wanted. So I would be like, okay, maybe today I'm working on my uh, Facebook is my favorite soap opera chapter. And on that, I just try to chug it out. I might want to finish it the next day or I might want to move to a new chapter. So out of all of that, that's how I was able to write this book piecemeal. Mm. I know for a lot of people looking at book writing feels like climbing a giant mountain. I always say like, take that pressure off yourself as opposed to seeing it as one giant mountain, just create multiple hills. So each chapter is a hill. Mm. Climb a hill. All right. You got 23 more to go. Maybe climb the other hill today or half of that hill and come back to it. So um, another app that I was really that was really helpful was Scrivener. 
S-C-R-I-V-E-N-E-R. Scrivener is where I wrote my whole book. Really? Oh, it is. Yes. Yes. It's a, it's, a, it's a $50 app and it's the best $50 I ever spent. Okay. Because it Noted. lets you... It, like literally for me to for me to pay for an app first of all is rare for me, to pay 50, for me to pay $50 like for an app oh my gosh and the reason why I end up finding out about this app is one of my friends and mentors and fellow writer novelist Aaliyah S. King she'd been like yo Scrivener is the best app ever and on that I was like let me download this app I wrote my whole book in this app um, wow. it's amazing because it lets you write in pieces and it brings it together damn so one day like on Scrivener I would have my all my chapters written like even the title so whenever I went to start writing a new chapter I just click on the title I go in there write whenever I finish the chapter I would use a red flag to show that don't touch it again like don't go back to this chapter <laughs> go write other ones and I saw my red flags first red flag and I saw a second one I'm like oh my god and next thing you know, I had 23 red flags, 23 chapters. Wow. Damn. Yeah. That is like, see the writing that, yeah, I just, I would be afraid too that like my opinion would change on something or like, but I mean, the topics in your book are like, so you, and they're so fucking funny, but they're so poignant. And I wanted to ask you like, of all of the topics, like, what do you think is the most relevant today seeing what's going on? in the world? Like, what's the one where you're like, I need to talk about this? You know, it's funny, not even one chapter, but my section, the one section of my mm -hmm. book that is so relevant to today's world that I'm actually surprised. I'm not surprised. I'm mad that it's actually that relevant still. I wanted my book to be timely mm. and timeless, but my God, my culture chapter, I mean, my culture section starts with a chapter on racism. It's called racism is for assholes. Mm. And then the second chapter is the privilege principle. And then I have a chapter on feminism. Uh, nobody wins at the feminism Olympics. I have a chapter on um, religion. And in this world that we find ourselves where people are being shot in the streets, shot in their own apartments, um, where Muslims are being attacked at numbers not seen in decades, where um, trans people are being killed in ridiculous numbers, that culture section where I talk about how I'm judging all of us for how good we are at othering people for the mm. things that they were born with and the, the, the religion they practice, the people mm. they love, it rings very true. And when, I, um, when my hardcover was coming out in, this, in November 2017, I, I wrote a bonus chapter basically saying that we've got we did not do better. My, my book's tagline is the do better manual because one, I'm judging myself and I think we're, I constantly need to do better. Yeah. But I'm judging us as a society and saying that we all have to do better. We have not done better because we now live in a world, in a country that is run by, I call him a walk-in Cheeto, a man whose platform is really to demean anybody who's not white, male, and straight. Mm -hmm. We have not done better. Yeah, I mean, that shit I can't even really... It's even hard to fucking talk about because sometimes I'm just like, is this... Like, there's so many parts that where I think there, there's weird things going on that, yeah, with with the Cheeto, that it's even hard to think that our people in our society would vote someone like that in. But, um, 
Yeah. I mean, I want to talk. So the, and I could go on that forever. Um, the part, the feminism Olympics, can you tell me more about that? Cause that is like genius. I think we constantly give people crazy criteria before they can consider themselves feminists. I talk about how, how many pieces have been written about is Beyonce feminist when Beyonce literally in front of a sign that said feminist and people question her feminism because she happens to be uh, conventionally pretty. Uh, She she decides to wear onesies for like 10 years and people are like, Oh my God, is she, is she a feminist when she's wearing heels? So, the chapter is how we opt people out of um, groups that they want to belong in because we create fake gatekeepers to that group. And feminism should not be a sport that I can opt in and out of. Like, if I say I'm a feminist, I'm a feminist. If I believe that women should have the same equal opportunity economically, um, socially as men, I'm a feminist. If I believe that a woman has a right to choose the life that she wants and live that life on her own terms. I'm a feminist. You know, a CEO is a feminist, but so is a stay-at-home wife. Mm -hmm. You know, a woman who chooses to be a sex worker is a feminist. A woman who chooses to never wear bras and one who insists she does not leave her house without a bra, she can be a feminist because this is what she wants to do. So that chapter explores that idea of why do we constantly want to lock people out of the club? Yeah. I feel like because people feel like maybe they've been locked out of the club and that's why they want to do it. But we had um, someone on the podcast, Alok Van Menen, and he's um, a gender nonconforming artist. And he talked a lot about within the trans community, um, a community that is oftentimes shut out from normal, quote unquote, society even has their own sub communities that, you know, don't let others in for certain types of reasons. So it's interesting that within these communities, there can also be separation too. Absolutely. Every, every group has many subgroups in between, Mm -hmm. but I think what's important is that we respect each other's differences, but we understand that ultimately at the end of the day, we're all basically fighting the same battles. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I was thinking about that and how do you like start the conversation and, and you do so, so beautifully in the book and in your writing, um, online. And we, we recently had an episode on, um, white privilege and waking up to our white privilege and, um, you know, we're, we're learning, you know, and, um, it was really important to us to start that conversation. Can you, I know you had a a chapter in there on privilege. Can you expand upon that a little bit? Um, it's understanding that privilege is not, you know, us pointing the fingers and saying, you're lucky. Mm. It's more of admitting the things that you were born in, born with that you had nothing to do with. For example, Mm -hmm. you know, your parents, background, your nationality, your color. White is the biggest point of privilege because it's the one that brings you the most things and and whiteness really protects you and shields you and spurs you forward. Um, My girl, Brittany Packnett, uses the phrase spend your privilege, which challenges Mm -hmm. people who are in whatever room that you're in if you are one of the most privileged people, use your privilege to help somebody else who's not 
who's marginalized. So essentially, if you are the most powerful person in the room, your job is to make sure somebody who has less of a voice and less less of a platform is being heard and their issues are being um, considered. And you spend your privilege by understanding what it is, you know, being able to know that, oh, yeah, I do have a lot of the power here. Let me use it for somebody else and not just hoard it to myself. Mm. Yes. Love that. So I, I'd love to kind of round out the rapid fire kind of discussions, but um, on social media. Mm. And, you know, it's it's one of those things that it's like amazing and it's, you know, it creates community and it helps you to bring your message to the masses, but it can also be, um, at least in my experience, the bane of your existence at times mm-hmm. when it kind of gets out of control. So, um, how have you managed your social media and what are your thoughts on just kind of like this, the state of it today? Mm. Oh man, manage social media. I still, I still basically manage most of my social I'm still the person behind most of it uh, because I like to talk directly to people. Social media has changed tremendously because how we use social has changed so much. I'm an early adopter of most of these platforms. I've been on uh, Twitter since 2008. I've been on Facebook since July 2004. Facebook started in 2000, in February 2004. I've been on Instagram since 2012 or 2010. So I've been able to see the evolution of all these platforms and how much they've changed, how we use it. Because before, back in the day, our platforms were used for like jokes. People would be on Twitter all day just joking and roasting each other and be on Facebook just randomly sending each other gifts. Back when Facebook had Facebook gifts that were so random. Um, <laughs> like but now, Yeah, but now we really use Facebook and Twitter and, and, and Instagram to show who we are as people, to talk about our, how we're seeing the world. What's funny is social media has taken the space of a lot of blogs. Has yeah. taken the mm-hmm. space of a lot of blogs. The, the long-form writing is less important than the short-term bites of information. So yeah, and social is where we are finding out news first. Um, It's where we're discussing things with our friends. It's where we're passing on important information when back in the day, all we used to do was just like talk about television and shenanigans. So that piece has been interesting to see how much it has shifted. And I think it's shifted for the better and for the worse better in that we use social now for really important things like you know people i remember when i was on facebook no, on, on twitter when um the haiti earth hurricane happened and i was seeing live reports from people who were on the ground being like hey there's everything collapsing around us here's who's around me things like that kind of shifted the land of social of people understanding the power of these platforms to, for citizen journalism. But on the other hand, social media now has also be, become like a, it can be a toxic space. If you go into comment sections of certain social platforms on YouTube, or if you go in certain comments of people on Facebook, you will see some of the most disgusting examples of humanity. Mm. As people throw hate at each other and all types of terrible things. So the good comes with the bad. Yeah. What do you do about that? Like those kind of comments and, um, you know, when you receive any negative feedback. 
you know, you have to determine what is trolling and what is constructive criticism. Yeah. Because you cannot internalize all the negative feedback that's thrown at you. Like people who are on YouTube, one of my friends just got a, just got a YouTube channel, posted a video that she didn't think was controversial. And in the channel, like in the comments, the type of horrific feedback that she got, she was like, oh my God, this is uh. terrible. So you have to shield yourself from the to- toxicity, like you cannot internalize it because it'll just make you want to go lay under a blanket. So understanding that you also have the power to moderate your platforms. You do not have to subject yourself to everybody's hate. It means you can delete, you can block, you can report as spam as you wish because you don't have to listen to people's craziness. You don't have to listen to people's projections i always right i realize that social media is now like you know how you should take your trash out to the back you throw it in the bin Mm -hmm. what happens now is people are bringing their trash to the lawn and they're throwing it at people you Mm -hmm. know and people are applauding because they're entertained by it when really people should be like yo we should all work through our pains as opposed to passing them on to people Mm. Yeah, yeah, I like the permission to block and delete and shit. That's what I feel like too. Now I'm kind of like coming to the point where I'm like, it's not like we get a lot or anything. And I'm sure it's the same as you. It's not overwhelming, but it's like, this is my platform and I'm going to kind of control and control sounds weird, but like, I want to be in charge of the kind of messages that are being shared within my community, making sure that they're the best and that they're going to further the group rather than um, distract. Absolutely. I mean, it is a part of, there's very few things we can control. Like what people say, we can't really control. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is given amplification, we can come on our platforms, we can control. So, yep, you know, exactly. one yep. negative comment can change the way something's being Responded to, so yep. delete that comment because it distracts from what you're saying. If you're posting, like you know, something serious, and somebody comes in to try to distract from what you're saying, feel free to delete them as opposed to then allowing their words to have space. Mm-hmm. Completely agree. I mean, it's like it's part of your platform, so it's not you know you can delete or block. I completely agree. Within the book, this was my question about the book. Like, and I find this on the podcast. So interviewing people and um, having these conversations, and it's been kind of a lens for me in in personal growth and kind of looking at my opinions, looking at the way that I grew up and how my background affected the person that I am today, how my privilege affected the person that I am today. What was it like writing the book for you and what kind of areas or topics that you talked about were you like, oh, I kind of want to take a look at this for myself again? Drilling down the book, I wanted to start with something light. So my life Mm -hmm. chapters, I mean, my life section is where I'm talking about like the fact that going to dinner with friends is a whole adventure. Like group (laughs) dinners are so bad because they can be fun in that you're like, yay, I'm seeing my peoples. But then they can be horrific because you're like, how did we end up with this giant bill at the end, even though everyone insists that they paid their way. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to kind of ease people in. And then I went from there to the culture section to talk about the important things like racism, like like homophobia, like um, Islamophobia. I thought those things, we have to start really tackling them in ways that makes people look at themselves and see how they might be approaching it in a way that might not work. 
and the the value what my voice is able to do is you feel like it's your best friend talking to you not necessarily you're not being talked at but this is your best friend being like yo i know you can do better than this and it gives people the permission to be like you right because part of the reason why my book resonated with a lot of people is because i judge myself throughout you know like the person I was 10 years ago is different from the person I am now because yeah. I'm constantly making myself rethink my thoughts and rethink my behavior and how can I be better than I was before. So yeah, it was important for me to put these topics out because they're universal. Yeah. Yeah, I think it does help to draw people in when you can show them that you're learning right along mm-hmm. with them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You were named one of Oprah's Super Soul 100 on the Super Soul 100 Casual. list. Um, <laughs> like, what do you even do with that? Are you like, like, what do you, what did you do when you found out? <laughs> you know, what's funny is when I found out I actually thought it was spam. <laughs> I when they sent me the email that was like, "Hey, you've been chosen as one of Oprah's Super Soul 100." <laughs> You're like, "Who's fucking with me?" <laughs> exactly. I was like, "This is spam," and I deleted the email. Fuck. <laughs> I deleted the email because I just didn't believe it. I was like, "Somebody's bullshitting." So they sent me a follow up email, and that's when I was like, "Oh, this is real." Okay, Fuck. cool. <laughs> I was like, "Holy shit, Oprah knows my name." That's Literally. crazy. Really. Wow. I was like, how does Oprah Winfrey know my name? So it was one of those moments that was surreal because, man, when you find out that Oprah Winfrey has chosen you as somebody who she thinks is elevating the humanity, yeah. you like, what Hi. the hell? How? How, Sway? So it was amazing. <laughs> it was Elevate. amazing. It Elevates was, humanity. I mean, oh. I'm on this list with like Ava DuVernay and Ariana Huffington Dude. and Deepak Chopra. How? How and it was affirming to my work because I'm just yes. like, yo, I was just a little girl who started blogging and to see where this journey has taken me when I had no expectations for it. It was beautiful. Mm. Yeah. I mean, Oprah, like Shonda Rhimes, like oh, Issa mm. Rae. Issa Rae is my, my. That's like, fucking, the homie right there. I love she's her. my, dude, she's everything. Actually, I like your recaps of Insecure. Mm-hmm. The best. So Insecure funny. is my favorite show on TV. It's the fucking best. So I'm so glad that you do those recaps because it's just the best. Yeah, I've been able to do the official recaps for it. When it when the show was about to start, I was like, yo, I gotta do this. So I hit up HBO myself, was like, um, I'm known for my recaps. I'm gonna need y'all to go ahead and uh, let me do these official recaps. <laughs> like I was like, I do not. I'm not too proud to beg my way in. How y'all doing? Um, I don't need a resume, <laughs> right? Please. You guys have seen my resume because I've done these scandal recaps for all these years. Come on, yep. let me do these recaps. So they were like, yeah. So I've wow. been doing official recaps since since the show started. Fuck yeah, good for you. Favorite show on TV. It's not so too good. Proud. It's, it's so, so good. And, good. And me and Issa met in 2012 before any of us were doing anything of note. I mean, we were all doing the work that we were doing. Like she was on YouTube doing a misadventures of awkward black girl. But you know, the glow up wasn't here yet. We were all still trying to figure out where it'll go. And here we are. 
Isn't that crazy? You're like, look at us. Like, Mm -hmm. look at where she is. And you know what's so dope about it is that it's like, look at us. And then it's like, you're writing the recaps. She's doing her thing. Like seeing your people like do what they do best and like be notified, like be publicly acclaimed for it. And then being a part of it, like there honestly isn't anything better. You know what? Even if HBO had said, no, we're, you know, we're good on the recaps, I probably would still be recapping Insecure just because I wanted to make sure that I did anything I could, even if it meant, hey, make sure you guys are watching this. Because Mm -hmm. seeing people like Issa, who've worked so hard and been such good people through it, it is encouraging. You want to see her win. The characters, like I'm so invested in the characters and their relationship, it's insane. Like, yes, it it feels so So real real. to me. And like, I personally, as like, I love the way that that it talks about race. Like for me, it's super educational. And like, we got y'all how they kind of like that topic is evolving is like been so impactful for me and so insightful for me. Mm -hmm. And just like the music by like the music is so fucking dope. Every time I'm listening, I'm like, Oh, this is the coolest song ever. And it makes like the show that much better. It is so good. Yeah. It's everything about the show. They've thought through all of it. And I love how the show is just unapologetically black. Like Issa is basically writing this show for black people. Yep. Then other people can watch. A lot of times we're told that our voices need to be moved and molded to be mainstream. So she's been able to do it by being exactly herself. And the music is good. And she gives uh, up and coming uh, musicians and artists a chance to be featured. So yeah, I am a forever fan of Issa and everything she's doing. And I'll always cheering her on. Mm. Last question from me. Um, as Oprah named you, you elevate humanity. And I just wanted to know kind of one thing that, you know, you would like to leave this earth, you know, having done, um, you're doing so much, but if there's one thing that's like the most important to you, Mm. I hope that my life and my journey is like clear testament and testimony for other people that really beautiful things can happen. Mm. Hope in me being who I am and doing the work that I do, it shows somebody else that their dreams, no matter how large, can actively come true. Because I just think we often talk ourselves out of our dreams because we think it's too big. Mm. Or we're like, yeah. you know what, that's not possible. Or we think, eh, I don't have the right to even think that. And truly, in all ways, my journey has been proof that, yo, Sometimes the audacity to just think it might possibly be possible is all you need. And of course, you put the work behind it. So if nothing else, that's what I hope people grab from what I do and who I am. Beautiful. They do, honey. Yeah. Put a cap in that because you got it. It's so funny. It's like, oh, it's already done. Like, it's already. Yeah, you already Like, where do you go? Like, that's, I guess, my last question. Like, where do you go from here? Like, you have a, like, a best-selling book. You're Oprah's 100. You're working with the baddest people in the game like how do like what do you what's your like goals like what's next for you what do you hope to do in the next few years you know what I've taken the pressure off myself Mm. because my one goal that I set for myself was like oh I want to be a New York Times seller because I know that if I become one it will make it easier for somebody who looks like me a black girl who writes to be able to walk into a publishing company and get a book deal 
But now what I just want to do is create really good content in whatever way it does. Like, I just want to keep doing the things that I'm loving on my own terms, which is why mm-hmm. I started my podcast, which is why I randomly get on Insta stories and just tell people about what I'm up to. I just want to do good work in however way that looks and evolve my career. You know, blogging has been de-emphasized, so I don't really blog much anymore, but you can still catch me doing the same things, you know, giving my thoughts on social and mm. just creating dope content. So yeah, taking the pressure off and enjoying doing work that matters in however form it comes. Mm. Yes. That resonates. Breathing that in. Um, well, thank you so much times a hundred for mm-hmm. making the time. Um, we've been really looking forward to talking to you and are so inspired by you and you really, you know, um, we look at someone like you and, and all that you've accomplished in such a short period of time, truly. And sure. you've been yourself the whole way through and that just inspires us to the nth degree. So thank you so much. Yeah. Truly. Where can people connect with you and hear more and learn more? Yes. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing your platform with me, the Almost Dirty Podcast. I am honored to be on it. I am becoming more and more of a podcast junkie. So I love when people are like, yo, I was listening to my favorite podcast and I heard you on it. So that's dope. (laughs) Um, Thank you. I am at Lovey on all my social platforms, L-U-V-V-I-E. Uh, People can listen to my podcast called Rant and Randomness. I drop it every other Tuesday. And it's where I'm talking about things I'm loving, things I'm side-eyeing, and interviewing amazing people. And who else? You can buy I'm Judging You, the Do Better Manual. Everywhere books are sold. I love that people still tweet and message me and say, like, I'm listening to your book right now. And so cool. the one thing about my book that I really enjoy is the lot that's on the cover called, and it's called Judgy Pop. It has a name. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lollipop that's giving people side eyes. So it's sweet and judgy sour at the pop. same time. Judgy pop. So can you sell those? Yeah, dude. You know what's funny? Um, when I was on my book tour, that's how people knew that they saw me in person. I had actual lollipops. Th- those actual lollipops. So people who had the judgy pops came to my book tour stops. That's amazing. And I actually have a tattoo of judgy pop now. Oh, on my shoulder. It? That's on my shoulder. I you're going to be like, Judgy Pop's on my ass. <laughs> <laughs> right. Judgy Pop's on my shoulder. So when I'm wearing a tank top, judging, yes. judging the world mm-hmm. on my behalf and y'all can yes, see honey. That's amazing. So, yeah. yeah, it's really cool. So I'm, I'm really, I love doing Insta stories. You guys will see me on Insta stories in my auntie robe on my couch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because I think everybody deserves an auntie robe. So yeah, 100. I'm everywhere. I am super easy to find and I really enjoy having conversation with people in those platforms. Awesome. We cannot wait to connect with you. Almost 30 Nation is strong, so they will be DMing you and reaching out. So um, hey, get ready. Oh, bring it. Bring it. <laughs> yes. And ready for the Almost 30 squad. Yes, honey. <laughs> Thanks, lovey. You're the best. And Thank we you. will hopefully meet you in person soon. I hope that that Let's happens. make it happen somehow. Let's find yes. an excuse for it. Great. Sounds wonderful. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk, talk to you, you soon. soon. Bye. 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 Lovey, love. Actually, the fact that she has a website, lovey.org. <laughs> so true. <laughs> How could it just always blows my mind when someone's name is them? No words true or have ever been. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, uh, like, huh? It's so weird. You're like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, my 
uh, lovey is lovey and my hairdresser is star and she's like star (laughs) 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 Uh, just you know another example you find a lot of those in venice especially oh you know you meet people who are like like, turquoise hair she's wild (laughs) thank you so much to lovey for coming on thank you all for listening yourpodcastpro.com yourpodcastpro.com all the resources you need for podcasting. We have Instagram templates. If you have a podcast and want to market it better, media kit templates for your podcast, or even if you have a blog, you can use that as a media kit to represent and pitch your business. We actually have pitching templates. So if you want to pitch your podcast to make money, you can use our pitch templates that we use. We have the podcast pro guide, which overlines or outlines everything for creating a podcast. Mm -hmm. Lindsay created an amazing finding your voice document and guide that really helps you to learn not to hate yourself on the mic and really ground in who your voice is. Mm-hmm. We also have a um, creative workbook too, just oh, yeah, yeah. kind of helping That's like birth the idea. It's it's hard. It can live in your head for so long. So we really get outside of the box and and help you to realize that idea and bring it to the airwaves. So yourpodcastpro.com. We are starting our six-week program in January, January 6th. So you can sign up now. Um, We're just really honored and excited to be working with the future podcasters of the world. Woo. And review of the week. Review of the week. Thanks everyone for writing reviews on iTunes. Yes. It really means a lot to Lindsay and I. So if this podcast in any way has given you value, whether it's us or our guests, it would really mean a lot mm-hmm. if you would take two minutes to get on iTunes and write us a review. Five stars. Thank you. I recently moved away from my beloved home in North Carolina and with a new job, I truly have not had time to make new friends. I felt super lonely, but when I found this podcast, I felt like Krista and Lindsay have kept me company. They make me laugh and it's my favorite part of my day. Thank you. That's from Katie. Oh, thanks, Katie. Mm. Love you. Um, Thanks, honey. All right, y'all. Go get them. Go get them. Go get them. We'll see you in Vancouver and we'll see you in the podcast pro course. We'll see you in the Facebook group and all of the places. And we really, really appreciate you guys showing up each week with us to grow and learn. 